Today we are starting our new series, This Is Us, and I'm so excited uh, to get into the Word with you today and over the next few weeks. Uh, many of you are aware there's a popular TV show that came out last fall with the same title, and i got to be honest, I wasn't one of the early ad- adopters on, on the show, but what just you know caught my attention was the the overwhelming response of, of people. It just took uh, America and ratings by storm. And, and so I got curious about what the show's about. And, and, and I've kind of come to a conclusion that what is fascinating to people about that show is that it, it seeks to answer a question that I think everybody wants the answer to. And, and the question is, how did what happened to me then affect where I'm at now? And where are we going to end up? And so the show plays out in three different generations of the same family. And you see what happened and you see what is happening. And then we wait to see what will happen. And so, you know, this, this last week, my daughters and I, we, uh, uh, my wife, my daughters and I, we put a 500-piece puzzle together. Anybody like puzzles? Yeah, we, we, we got the box out. We dumped all the pieces. And it didn't take us too long between the five of us. We, we knocked it out. We got the puzzle done. But how many of you have noticed that life doesn't come with a box lid with a picture on it of what it's supposed to look like? I mean, wouldn't that be convenient? It doesn't. And so we're all asking the question, how did what happened then get me where I am now and where am I going? Now, let me just say here in week one of the series that uh, our attention is not going to be on a TV show at all. Uh, our attention, as it always is on Sunday morning, is going to be on the Word of God. And, and I want to take you into the Word today. And I want to start by just giving you a couple verses. And I have a lot of scriptures, so what we'll do is we'll put these up on the screen behind me. And, and you can jot them down in the, uh, the place in your program there. If you want to take sermon notes, you can jot those down and look at them uh, in depth later. But uh, I'll give you a lot of verses on the screen today. But I want to start with a verse in Romans uh, chapter 15. And this is what the Word of God says about what happened in the past. Here's the Word. Romans 15 verse 4 says, For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through the endurance taught in the Scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. Now, in the New Testament, the Apostle James, he talked about the Word of God as saying, the Word of God is like a mirror. It's like a mirror so that when we look at the Word of God, not only do we see what God is like, we see a reflection in God's Word of our own selves. And he talked about the importance of of looking into the mirror of God's Word to see what God is like. That's the amazing thing about the Word of God. It's, it's alive, it's active. Hebrews 4 says it's sharper than any two-edged sword. And so when you read the Word of God, literally the Word of God is reading you. When we open this book, hopefully, and our hearts are open to the Holy Spirit, not only do we get a, a more of an understanding of what God is like, but as we engage the Holy Spirit on every page, what we're going to find ourselves saying is, wow, this is us. Now, hopefully, as we go through some different stories in the Bible, you know, you're going to say, this is us, and we're going to say, amen. But sometimes you may say, this is us, oh my. But if you'll allow the Holy Spirit to to speak to your heart and to speak to your life, I believe that as we engage Him in the Word, 
We're going to come away with a better understanding, not just of who God is, but of who he's called us as the church to be. Now, there's one word that's been on my heart for this service today, knowing it's Grandparents Day and that the kids are going to be in here ministering. One word that's been on my heart, and the word is generations. Generations. You know, God is a generational God. God has plans and and purposes for your life that are bigger than than your generation. There's things that God wants to do in and through you that will outlive you. He wants you to buy into a vision and a purpose that is bigger than your lifetime. And so I I just want to start here to all the grandparents, to all the the great-grandparents, and maybe even to the senior adults that, that don't have grandkids. Let me just challenge you and encourage you with a thought today. Don't measure your potential to do something for God off of the length of days or the quality of days that you might think you have left. Don't do that. Because the reality is that the greatest impact of your life may not be in what you do. It may be in who you influence. The greatest impact of your life may be in who you raise. Jesus said this in in John chapter 15, verse 16. He said, I've chosen you. You didn't choose me. I chose you. And I appointed you to produce fruit. And then he emphasized fruit that will last. Now, can I just point out the obvious? We all know this about fruit. Fruit doesn't last. But Jesus said, I appointed you that you would produce fruit that would last. And so the only way that fruit is going to last is you understand, and I understand, that you've got to take something of that fruit, and you've got to plant it. You've got to invest it. You've got to sow it for the future. If you consume all of it or let it rot on the vine, it won't last. But if you take something of it and you sow it and you invest it, then it can. It has the potential of becoming something that will last. And the older you get, the more important it is that you realize, hear me carefully today, the most significant fruit of your life grows on someone else's tree. The most most significant thing that you could do, it may be the fruit of what you invest in somebody else's life. God is a multi-generational God. He thinks bigger than our lifetime. Let, Let me show you this in the scriptures. I was thinking this week about Paul and Timothy, the Apostle Paul, who wrote over half the New Testament. One of his last letters, his last letter actually, was to a young man named Timothy. Second Timothy is the the name of the book, but in Philippians, he wrote about this young man that he would later write a letter to. And when Paul talked about Timothy, this young man in the faith that was Coming up in the ministry. Here's what Paul said about him in Philippians chapter 2, verse 20. He said, I have no one else like him. That's a pretty high compliment. Coming from the Apostle Paul. He said, I have no one else like Timothy who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone else looks out for their own interest, not for those of Jesus Christ. But look at verse 22. He says to the church, but you know that Timothy has proved himself. Because as a son with his own father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. Paul had a lot of admiration for this young man, Timothy. But Timothy was not who he was 
apart from the influence of an older generation. See, when Paul wrote to Timothy in that letter of 2 Timothy, he said this to him. He said in chapter 1 and verse 5, he said, Timothy, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother, Lois, and in your mother, Eunice. And now I'm persuaded that that same sincere faith lives in you also. Paul said, I I see there's something that you've learned from your mom, you've learned from your grandmother. And so in his last letter, he wants to make sure that the work of the Spirit that God is doing doesn't die with his generation. So Paul writes this letter to Timothy and he says, Timothy, you need to stir up that gift of God. I see sincere faith in your mom. I see it in your grandmom. And I see it in you as well. Don't let it die with me, Timothy. I'm, I'm probably not going to get out of this prison alive. But I want to make sure that what God is doing through the Spirit in my life doesn't die in my lifetime. But he also wanted to make sure that what God was doing didn't die in Timothy's lifetime. And so later in that same letter of 2 Timothy, chapter 2 and Verse 2, Paul writes these words, And the things that you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust those things to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Do you see the pattern? He says, Timothy, there's a faith that was in your grandmother. That same faith is in your mom. And Timothy, now I'm confident that that same sincere faith lives inside of you. Timothy, you've heard me preach these words. Now I've laid my hands on you. I've anointed you and you are called to preach these words. But Timothy, go and find some other capable people. And lay your hands on them and empower them so that they can continue to preach these words. There's something that God wants to do in and through the church, something he's always wanted to do in and through the church that is multi-generational. It's bigger than you or I. You know, I think about my own family. Talked to my dad on the phone yesterday. You know, right now he's standing in front of his church and he's preaching. So I have a great legacy of faith. That my dad is a preacher and now I'm a preacher just like he was and my grandfather was a preacher of the gospel. I think about that, I think, wow, what an incredible blessing that somebody saw potential in me and spoke into my life and cultivated the gift of God in my life. They laid hands on me and prayed for me and God did what only He could do. He called me to the ministry, but somebody recognized the gift and they cultivated that in my life. Now, now maybe you're here and you say, well, hey, that's great for Timothy. That he had his grandmother and his mom and and the Apostle Paul. Great for you. You got your dad. You got your granddad. But I don't have that. Okay, maybe you're here today and you say, I don't have a legacy of faith. I don't have multiple generations of people pouring in and speaking into my life about the will of God. In fact, maybe you would even be here today and you would say, I've spent most of my life trying to overcome what I've inherited. Trying to get over all the things that were passed on to me. All the issues of of my life my life and and if that's you today i want to give you an encouraging word it's a word that we often quote in the church but it's a powerful word it's found in second corinthians chapter 5 verse 17 and if you're a person that says you know what i don't i don't have that kind of legacy i don't have that kind of history then you need to cling on to this word 
this morning. The Apostle Paul wrote, he said, Therefore, if anyone be in Christ Jesus, the new creation has come. The old is gone. Behold, the new has come. I want to tell you today, if maybe you don't have a, a legacy of faith. Maybe you look back over your family tree and none of the branches bend toward the kingdom of heaven. I want to tell you, you can start a new legacy of faith. You can begin a new generational cycle in your life because what this verse tells us is that all the stuff that held you back, all the junk that you inherited, that you were raised with, all the the issues that you've had to overcome to get to this place of being in a church on a Sunday morning, all of those things are washed away in the blood of Jesus. When you come to Christ and you ask Him to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you from your past, He doesn't just wash away your sin. He breaks you free from the shackles and the strongholds that have held you back. There's things that you've allowed yourself to be a prisoner to from your past for years and years because maybe you haven't noticed up until this moment that when Jesus saved you, He gave you the key. Can somebody say amen this morning? Has anybody been set free from anything this morning? That's the power of creating a new legacy in Christ Jesus. That He sets us free from all the things of our past. Not because of anything we've done. Not because of anything your parents did or your grandparents. But it's because of what God has done. Let me give you one more verse and then we're going to jump into a Bible story. It's in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 12 and it says this, We give joyful thanks to the Father. Who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. That's that's the benefit that we have as the people of God. That God himself has qualified us to share in the inheritance. It means it doesn't matter if you came from a Christian family. It doesn't matter if you were raised in church. It doesn't matter how much of the, the Bible you have uh, applied to your heart and mind already. The reality is when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, you get a new inheritance. It's not based on works. It's not based on anything you can do. It's on what God has already done. He gives you the privilege. He qualifies you to share in this inheritance. You know, last month, it was actually a month ago this week, I spoke at our men's breakfast. And uh, speaking to all the men, I I shared a verse of Scripture Kind of a, an obscure verse, but I, I shared this word, Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 29, and here's what it says. It says, in those days, people will no longer say, the parents have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. What that verse means is that the people were quoting this proverb, that the parents have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. In other words, what the people were saying is, we're dealing with the issues that we're dealing with because of what the previous generation dealt us. It's their fault, not my fault. They ate the sour grapes. Our teeth are set on edge. And, and God is saying to the people in that moment, and I believe to us today, no longer will the people quote this proverb. No longer will the people make the excuse that says, these are the cards I was dealt. This is just the the the... My plot and my lot in life, and I'm just going to have to deal with this. No, God was saying through the prophet Jeremiah, what Paul later wrote in Colossians, that he, God, 
on his goodness, not on your works. He has qualified you to a better inheritance. And I just want to proclaim in Jesus' name today, no longer will the people of God say, our parents ate sour grapes and now our teeth are set on edge. In the name of Jesus, get a new inheritance this morning. Amen? God has something that he wants to pass on from your life to the next generation. And in the same token, there's some things that you need to just draw a line in the sand and say, this is not going any farther in my family line. Maybe it came to my door, but in Jesus' name, I got a better inheritance. If there's been a pattern of of alcoholism, it stops with my generation. If there's been a pattern of divorce, it stops. If there's been a history of depression or or anxiety or, 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 or any other symptom, in Jesus' name, it stops today. No longer will we walk under a cloud that says, this is just what I have to deal with. We have a better inheritance. Now, for the time we have left, let me show you a story in the Old Testament. First Kings... If you got your Bible, go to 1 Kings chapter 19. I want to share a, a story with you and I'll, I'll set it up by backing up to chapter 18 for just a couple of moments. I want to look for a few minutes at these two men of God, Elijah and Elisha. Now their names are similar, so hang with me. I can't promise I won't mix them up, but you try not to. Elijah came first. Elisha came second. Now, in 1 Kings chapter 18, there's this incredible story about the prophet Elijah. Many of you are familiar with this. He goes out and he basically calls out 850 false prophets of the gods Baal and Asherah. He calls them out. They're, They're out there worshiping these gods. And Elijah, all by himself, steps on the scene and says, okay, let's have a contest. You build an altar and pray to your God. I'll build an altar and I'll pray to the God of heaven. And whoever's God answers by fire and comes and consumes the sacrifice will know he's God. You go first. And so the people, all 850 prophets, they build these altars and they're they're doing rain dances and they're cutting themselves and they're screaming and they're doing all kinds of stuff all day. Begging. For Baal or Asherah to send fire on their sacrifice. And Elijah just watches them go all day until finally says, okay, enough. My turn. He rebuilds the altar. And he prays a simple prayer in 1 Kings 18. And the Bible says that God answers by fire. A fire comes down from heaven, consumes the sacrifice, burns up the altar. It's an amazing story of God working through Elijah's life. But I give you that story as a backdrop because when you get into the very next chapter, 1 Kings 19, we see this same mighty man of God, Elijah. But now he's depressed. He's lonely. He's even contemplating suicide. It doesn't look like the same guy. And as you read the story, you understand the reason that he feels this way is because he's all alone. And not only is he physically alone, but he feels isolated. In fact, one of the prayers that he prays to God is this. He says, I'm the only one left. Elijah genuinely believed there was nobody else in this nation that's serving God anymore. I mean, I've gone and called fire down from heaven and still... People people want to take my life. What's the use? I don't see how things are going to work out. And he put the weight of the world on his own shoulders. 
Elijah knew the God that could show up in the fire. He knew the God that could shake the earth. He knew the God of the violent wind. But what he didn't know was the silent, sovereign God. That's the God he needed to get to know. So the Bible says that Elijah, he he runs away, he's by himself. And God calls him and he tells him to go into a cave. He says, I'm going to meet with you in this place. And we're going to pick up the story in 1 Kings 19, down in verse 11. And here's my prayer, that what God did for Elijah, he'll do for us today. Look at it with me. The Lord said, verse 11 of 1 Kings 19, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord. For the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. I'm praying that God would show up in a gentle whisper in some of your lives today. That you would just sense Him speaking direction and clarity for your life. Because Elijah is at a moment where he feels like there's no sense in moving forward. He's praying these, these, these faithless Prayers. God, I'm the only one. God, you might as well just strike me dead now. There's no reason to move on. But God shows up in a whisper, in a moment. And what happens in the next few verses of 1 Kings 19 is He gives him clarity about the future. God begins to speak to Elijah, who thought it was all on his shoulders and and everything was going to just end with his own life. But God speaks to him in that moment and he says, Elijah, I want you to call a new king in Aram. I want you to go and I want you to anoint a new king in Israel. And then he tells him these words. He says, Elijah, I want you to go and I want you to anoint Elisha to take your place. I want you to anoint him to take your place. All of a sudden, Elijah has a fresh vision for the future. It's not all on his shoulders. It's not all up to him anymore. He says, okay, God, he goes out and he anoints a new king in Aram. He anoints a new king in Israel. And and then he anoints Elisha. Look down at verse 19 with me. It says, so Elijah went from there and he found Elisha, the son of Shaphat. He was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen. And he himself was driving the 12th pair. Elijah went up to him. And threw his cloak around him. Can I tell you today church. There's a young generation coming up behind us. That want to do great exploits for God. Childlike faith is not hard for them to comprehend. They want to do something great for God. But they're waiting for somebody to come and throw a cloak over their shoulder. They're waiting for somebody to come and recognize the potential that they have. And that's what Elijah does for Elisha. He's just a farmer. He's out working in the field. But all of a sudden the man of God shows up and he puts a cloak of confidence over his shoulder. And he recognizes the potential that God has given him. 
Now let's jump ahead to 2 Kings because I want to move now from the end of Elijah's life. He's talking with this young man, Elisha, who he's already been to his house. He's been mentoring. Elijah is leading Elisha. And the Bible says in 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 9 and 10, that the two of them are walking together. And it says in verse 9, when they had crossed Over the Jordan, Elijah said to Elisha, tell me, what can I do for you before I'm taken from you? Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit, Elisha replied. You've asked a difficult thing, Elijah said. Yet, if you see me when I'm taken from you, it will be yours. Otherwise, it will not. Now, in the next few verses... Elijah is caught up by a chariot of fire. He ascends up into heaven supernaturally. He's one of a couple men in the Old Testament that never died. He goes up, but Elisha was with him. Elisha stayed with him and he saw him go up. And when he went up, that cloak that had once draped his own shoulders when Elijah recognized the call of God on his life, it came falling down from the clouds and Elisha picked it up. And when he picked it up with it, He got a double portion of the anointing on the prophet's life. For every miracle that Elijah had done, Elisha did twice that many miracles. He had double the anointing on his own life. Now, I want to end by, I want to give you one of the saddest stories, I believe, in all the Bible. One of the saddest stories. And it's found in 2 Kings chapter 13. It's only two verses long. Now I just told you what happened when Elijah died. Or when he went up to heaven and Elisha picked up the mantle. But now we're at the end of Elisha's life. And there's this interesting little story. It's only two verses long. But let's read it. 2 Kings chapter 13. Verse 20 and 21. Elisha died and was buried. Now... Moabite raiders used to enter the country every spring. Once, while some Israelites were burying a man, suddenly they saw a band of raiders. So they threw the man's body into Elisha's tomb. And when the body touched Elisha's bones, the man came to life and stood up on his feet. That's a powerful story. Now, if you've grown up in church like me, maybe you've heard that story preached before and you would have never thought that's the saddest story in the Bible. That's a pretty awesome story. I mean, Elisha is dead. He must have been dead for a while because all that was left was his bones. But we get this little story and there's no context for it. I mean, the Bible doesn't tell us about the men who threw their friend's body into the tomb. The Bible doesn't tell us any more about the Moabites that were raiding We don't learn anything else about the guy after he's raised from the dead. All we get is this little two-verse snapshot that says Elisha died. And then sometime later, a dead body was thrown onto his bones. And when the body hit the bones of the prophet Elisha, the man came back to life again. Now let me tell you why I think that's one of the saddest verses in the Bible. I think the answer is in the old bones of Elisha. The reality is, there was so much anointing in his life. 
So much power that God had given him that even his dead bones could cause the dead to be raised again. But the the reason this is so sad is because that power, that anointing was never intended to stay in Elisha's body. You see, when Elijah recognized that his time of departure was at hand, he said, you come with me, young man. I'm going to show you how to do this. You walk with me. You talk with me. And if you're with me when I'm gone, you'll get a double portion of what I carry. But Elisha carried his anointing to the grave. He never found the next generation. He never found the next prophet of God. If Elisha had twice what Elijah had, what could have come? If Elisha wouldn't have died with the anointing in his bones. Listen, I've I've performed a lot of funeral services. and, And I've recognized that people are open to the gospel. Maybe even more so in moments of of grief than they are on a Sunday morning service. And and I've seen many times God will use somebody's funeral service to bring spirit life into another person. And I thank God for that. But can I challenge you today, church? Don't let the greatest work of your life happen at your funeral. Don't die with the anointing still locked up inside of you. Don't make the same mistake that Elisha made. Find somebody that you can pour into. Find the next generation. Maybe it's somebody younger. Maybe it's not. Maybe they're just younger in their relationship with God. But there's something that God has done in your life. There's a work that He's done in you and through you. And yes, I want to live full, but God, I want to die empty. I don't want to die with the anointing still locked up in these bones. And I want to challenge you today. To allow the Spirit of God to speak to you. Yes, He's the God of wonders, but He's also the God of whispers. Let Him speak to you the way that He spoke to the prophet Elijah when He said, listen, you're not the only one. There's somebody that I want you to pour your life into. There's somebody that I want you to anoint to carry on the work after you're gone. I'm praying that God would speak to us individually today to receive A fresh anointing. Maybe you're here today and and you've been praying a a prayer of desperation like Elijah was in 1 Kings 18. And you're feeling like, man, I'm kind of washed up. I'm done. I don't see the future. I'm frustrated. I mean, Elijah's at the point of saying, God, just just kill me now. I I don't really have anything to live for. If that's you today, lean in because the God of whispers wants to speak to your heart. He wants to speak life to you. Maybe you're here today and you say, you know what, I don't, I don't have a spiritual he- uh, heritage. I don't have a, a legacy of faith. In fact, for me, I've got a lot. I've got to overcome just to get this far. God wants to give you a new inheritance today. He's qualified you to be a partaker in the inheritance of faith. The Bible says we are heirs of God. We are joint heirs with Christ Jesus. God wants to pour something into your life, but it's not just for your lifetime. God wants to do a work, and maybe for some of you, He wants to begin a work today, in this moment, in your life. Because there's not something that God just wants to do in you, there's something He wants to do through you. It's not just something God wants to do for you, it's something God wants to do from you. There's people that God has put in your life, in your own family, in your community, in your workplace... And it would be a travesty if you would let the anointing of God end with your lifetime. 
I want to pray for you right now. Would you bow your head with me all over this room? I'm asking right now that God would speak to the hearts of His people today. My prayer for you is simply this, that God would open our eyes. That He would open up our eyes to those that He wants us to invest ourselves in. Maybe it's somebody that is younger. Maybe it's just someone that's younger in their relationship with God. But God, open our eyes today to recognize that the work you've done for us leaves us with something to flow from us. God, help us today to be people that pass on the faith that was entrusted to us. That we hear Paul's admonition to Timothy. Now, I want to pray very specifically in these closing moments for some of you that maybe you're here today and and you don't have that heritage. Or maybe you did, but you haven't received it. Maybe you rebelled from the faith that was handed down to you. But today, you're here and, and when I spoke earlier about being qualified by God to receive an inheritance, something in your spirit jumped. Something right then came alive and something in you said, God, I want that. I want more than what's been given me. I don't want to live a life blaming things on what others have done or what I've done in the past. God, no longer will we say our parents eat sour grapes and our teeth are set on edge. God, today... I want to receive an inheritance. We declared it in song earlier and I want to declare it over you again. You can be a son and a daughter of God. A child of God. And if that's you today and you you just feel like, man, I'm far from God, but I don't want to be. I don't want to be. I I want to start a new generational cycle in my family. I don't want to pass on what was passed down to me. I want to live as a son of God. I want to live as a daughter of God. If that's you, I want to pray for you. Would you just lift up your hand and say, Pastor, pray for me. If that's you, say, I I need that. I need God to work in my life, to bring, to write a new story of redemption. Praise God. Thank you. There are hands that are going up all over this room. I'm going to give you just five more seconds and we're going to pray. Anyone else, you say, that's me today. God, rewrite my story. Rewrite my story. Praise God. You can put your hand back down. We're about to pray a prayer and I believe that nothing short of a miracle is about to happen. Because we claimed it earlier and God's word is true. That if anyone be in Christ Jesus, he is, she is a new creation. The old is gone. Behold, all things have become new. God's going to do it in this moment. He's going to do it in response to your faith. So I'm going to ask right now. We've got people that are ready to pray. To serve in these altars. I want to ask all over this room. Could we stand together? And as we stand. Would the altar team come forward? We're going to pray two closing prayers. But this first one is for those that raised your hand. I just sense so strongly today. Coming into this service. That God wants to impart something into your life. The same way that Paul laid his hands on Timothy. And said, Timothy, stir up the gift of God. That was imparted into you. At the laying on of my hands. 
I believe God wants to do something in your heart and your life today. At a point of contact. At a point of the laying on of hands. And so I've asked these men and women to come and stand in this altar. Because it's the power of God. It's, it's nothing in my hands. It's nothing in theirs. It's a point of faith. And a point of contact that says, God, I believe in this moment, you're rewriting my story. God, I believe in this moment, we're drawing a line in the sand. And I'm not going to carry on what was handed to me. But I'm going to establish a legacy of faith for generations to come. And if you raised your hand just a moment ago and said, Pastor, that's me. I want to invite you today to take a step out from where you are in just a moment. And to come and to stand before this altar team and to allow them to put a hand on your shoulder. To to take you by the hand, to pray for you and believe with you that today is a new day. That today the old is gone. Supernaturally the new has come. In just a moment I'm going to ask you to come. But before I do I want to pray a prayer for the whole church. And it's why I've asked you all to stand today. God is doing something in our house. God is doing something that is bigger than this generation. And He's asked us to plow the ground. We've been asking you for weeks to to step in by faith to what we believe God is doing in our house and in this church. And I'm just asking you right where you stand as as a, a point of contact and and enlistment to to pray a prayer with me of surrender and i want to just pray over the whole house and i'm going to ask god to to breathe new life the same way he did for elijah who was discouraged and distraught and he couldn't see the plan for the future i want to ask god to just breathe new life into our hearts that we come away from this service with a fresh anointing and a purpose to pour it out in somebody else's life Now as I pray this prayer, if you raised your hand a moment ago, would you just step out from where you are and come and meet us at the altar? Maybe you're here today and you're not coming for that prayer of salvation. You say, I just need somebody to pray with me. You can come too, even as I pray right now. Father God, we come in agreement all over this house. Lord, from the back to the front, we're asking you, Lord God, to speak, Lord. Lord, we thank you for those moments where you you call down fire and you shake the earth and the heavens. But God, we're asking you to speak to our hearts the same way you spoke to Elijah. God, today, remind us of the anointing you've placed on our life. Remind us of the purpose and the plan that you have for us. And God, today, give us eyes to see those around us that you want us to pour into those around us that you want to empower to not just encourage them from afar but to go and to cloak them with confidence to go and and robe them with affirmation to speak into their life to encourage them to see their God-given potential to go and to meet them where they're working to go and to invite them into our own home and to be a part of our life God, give us vision to see who you want us to pour into. Forbid, Lord, that the move of God that you're doing today would die with our generation. God, give us a heart to see you do something that supersedes our lifetime. God, we thank you for your anointing today. For the work that you're doing in us and among us. Be glorified through your church, God. 
Be glorified through your church. In Jesus' name. Be glorified through your church. In Jesus' name. Amen. Listen, as as these are praying in the altars, let me give you a final word of instruction. In in the back of the room, uh, we still have sign-up sheets there for all of our ministries. We want you to pray and consider over the next few weeks where you can serve in the church. But as I was praying about today, I was thinking about those DVDs and leader books that Pastor Chris showed you earlier. There are many of you that maybe you haven't bought in to doing life groups because quite honestly, you just don't feel like you need it. In love, can I say to you, Elisha, it's not about you. The reality is maybe you don't need it. Maybe you don't need to come around with another group of believers and have them encourage you in your faith. But you also don't need to let what God has done in your life lie dormant in your bones. And maybe, maybe the application of this word for you is that you need to pick up a copy of the DVD. And you need to pick up a booklet and say, you know what? I, I'm going to find some people that I can encourage. I'm going to be a host. I'm going to put the DVD in. I'm going to lead them through the material. And whatever God has done in my life, I'm going to share with others. And if that's you today, I want to encourage you. If we run out of DVDs, just sign up. We'll make more. We'll make more. We want to put it in your hands. And we want God to use us this season for His glory. Amen? Amen. God bless you, church. Have a wonderful afternoon. We hope to see you back tonight from 7 to 8 for a study in the Word.